Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you all here today. I need you to do me a favor. Um, if there is space in the row with you, if you could just kind of move in so that, uh, so that there's space, because I still think we have some people waiting to get in here as well. So if you could do that, that would be fantastic. And if people are waiting in the foyer, they can just sneak in here as well then. So for those that don't know me, my name is Leighton Erickson, and I serve as Ebenezer's lead pastor. And this morning, I, I want to begin my part of the service by finding out a bit more about who's in our audience. And so you can see there's a, there's a, a, a poll right behind me, or a screen, with a QR code. And if you have your phone with you this morning, I encourage you to take it out and either log on to the QR code there or type in the information that's there. And we're going to have a live poll. And this can take place whether you're in the worship center, whether you're in the chapel, the meeting room, at home, online, you can log into this poll and we can see who's with us today. So I'm just going to give you a chance to do that uh, and, uh, and then we're going to have the live poll together. Now the reason I, I'm doing this is because um, there are lots of people that are new or newer to us here today. And I know that if I was attending a church for the first time or looking for a home church, I would want to know, is there anyone else here like me? And so we're going to just find out if there are people like you here this morning. Okay, so we're ready to go here. Uh, so what's going to happen is, is the, the, the screen should come up uh, in the first question. And by the way, you're safe. There's no personal data that's being transmitted that's just going to show on the screen here with just your, your information. Okay, and then we'll see how people respond. Okay, so here's, here's the first question I want to ask today, and it says this. Uh, which statement most accurately describes you? And it should show up on your phone, uh, and you can just check the response that is correct there. Do you want to just move to the... There we go. Okay, I'm just trying to watch this as we go here. So right now we have 162 participants, 181, that keeps on growing. Okay, so you can see uh, a few things here. You can see that there are lots of people that are brand new to us. And if, if you're new here today, welcome. Glad you're here. Welcome home. Uh, we have people that are part of the Ebenezer family that for whatever reason uh, don't feel like they're really engaging with us. And again, I'm glad you're here. Glad you're persevering, and hopefully this next year that can change. And of course, there's other people that are part of our, our church family. Okay, so here we go. We're going to have to 282 responses, so that's great. We're going to move to the next question now. And this is a, a question of, of demographics. Um, what demographic best describes you? Best describes you, okay? Okay, so I, I, can, I can hear some chuckles here. So here's the first thing. Uh, actually, it, it, it does, re most people that are younger have phones. The older people, we don't have our phones out yet. So <laughs> give, us a, give us a break here. You know, we're, we're still trying to find 
flips open, right? We're, 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 we're there. Okay, so what you do see is reflective of our church, which is, which is the majority of people that attend Ebenezer are under 30, and actually under 30 and single. That, that, that's amazing. Okay, so... Uh, I'm not sure why people are happy, but, but that's... If you're single here this morning, uh, just make sure your, your eyes are wide open as you walk around, okay? Okay, here's the next question. Uh, which season of life best describes you right now? Which season of life best describes you? Okay. So all the single people are secretly going, <laughs> this is, this is a good news. This is a great church to be part of. Okay, so again, you can see what I said. This, this does reflect uh, some of the, the demographics here uh, at our church, and, and we love it. We love that we have lots of single people here. It brings us life. We love that we have lots of young families here and, and, and lots of kids. It's, it's a great thing for us as a church family. Okay, we'll keep on going here. It's just a snapshot for us. Here's the next question. Uh, how long have you been part of the Ebenezer family? How long have you been part of the Ebenezer family? Okay, I'll let that take shape as it's going here, but okay, you, you're gonna see a couple of things. First of all, uh, we need to have, have grace uh, with the people beside us. If they seem unfriendly and you're wondering why this church is unfriendly, maybe it's because they're brand new like you, <laughs> right? So we have lots of new people, so just be attentive to that. And if, and if you, uh, and take the initiative, whether you're brand new here or whether you've been part of the family for a long time, and especially to the people in the far column or far two columns, if you've been here more than three years, uh, we need you this morning to be just top-notch hosts. That if you see someone standing in the corner by themselves, you're over there welcoming them and introducing them to your friends. And you're showing them around the church and helping them to get settled. Because that's what it means to be a family together. And, and we step up and we love people and we are a host of people. Here's the next question for us. Where did you grow up? Where did you grow up? And just as that is uh, coming on the screen there, uh, that picture there is, is a picture of our partner pastors uh, meeting together at our place. Uh, we have partner pastors here, so we have, uh, we have an Arabic church, we have a Nepali-Bhutanese church, we have a Korean church, and we have an all-nations church. That's all part of our family. Plus, we have a strong uh, Ukrainian presence with our, our church family here. So that's all part of, of who we are. And so you can see uh, that, that lots of people that are here today have actually born and raised in another country. Okay, here's, uh, here's the, ne uh, by the way, I wanna make one other comment. Um, most of our partner congregations uh, speak in their first language or their native language. And so you might hear some, some translation happening around you, and that's, we, we encourage that. We're glad that they're here. And we're thankful that they decided to come to the English service today when their services are in different languages. Here's the next question. How would you describe your spiritual background? How would you describe your spiritual background? Oh, Baptist taking early lead here. <laughs> I have a sense it's not gonna last, but. 
Okay, so here's why I put this question up here. We're, we're a Baptist church. You can't get any more Baptist than Ebenezer. <laughs> Baptist, right? It sounds like an old antiquated term, but it does mean something to us a whole lot, actually. Um, but in the old days, uh, when, when, if I were to ask this question before there were cell phones, probably the majority of people that would have been here would have been from a Baptist background. But now we come from all over the place. We come from different churches, non-church backgrounds. Again, I, I want to say that, that uh, you are welcome here no matter what your background. And if you're on your journey, which we're going to look at in a second, you are, are welcome to be part of our Ebenezer family here. Here's the, here's the uh, second last question. Uh, which statement best describes your spiritual interest level right now? Which answer? Okay, you'll see the, you'll see the answers uh, emerge behind me even better than I will. But uh, here again, uh, we all come from different places. And everyone is on a spiritual journey in my view. And so we are glad that you're, you're here for whatever reason you came today. And I want to say that regardless of where you're at, you are more than welcome to pursue your faith, explore your faith, be healed from bad faith, um, you know, ask questions right here. This is what it means to be a family, is, is we come and we dialogue together and we try and seek to know the truth together. Last question. This is kind of, where'd this one come from? And it's this, have you ever fallen in love? <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm there for you single people. I'm, I'm going for you. <laughs> Bring it right back around here, okay? So have you ever fallen in love? Oh, yes, and I'm still in love. Let's hear it. Oh, yeah, that's, that's good. Okay. There, there, are some, there are some nevers there as well. Okay. So th we'll, we'll, let the, we'll let that one just emerge just a second. But uh, thank you for, for sharing and being part of this poll today. And you can see who's there. Now, um, if I were to answer, well, maybe we can shift to the PowerPoint now. If I were to answer this question, the last question, and it was possible, I would have ticked off two boxes. The first box was, have I ever fallen in love? Yes, head over heels. And the second one would be, yes, and I'm, I'm still in love. Now, uh, outside of me confessing my love for a girl back in grade seven during a game of truth dare or double dare, <laughs> And if you're too old, too young to know what that is, ask your parents what that game is. Um, I have never said I love you to a girl that wasn't my relative, except to my, to this girl right here. And so, this this is this was uh, this was my wife now, but this is on our first date, uh, 34 years ago, almost to the month. Uh, we met right here at Ebenezer, not this church, but. Um, and although I, I hesitate to say this because I don't want to encourage other people, it, it was almost love at first sight. And I, I don't, I've never really said that before, but I had this sense, well, I don't know if it's weird or not, I had this sense when, when I met this person, when she walked in, I had this sense, this person is going to be my wife someday. Now, a bit of context for those that are newer to us. I, I had just been hired as Ebenezer's first, first youth pastor, and I have a couple pictures of, of me. <laughs> 
age has not treated me well. <laughs> okay, so let's just, let's just call it for what it is. I was single, clearly good looking, <laughs> eligible, and, and I was in the season of, of life where my eyes and heart were, were open to settling down if I found, found the girl of my dreams. And then one night, this girl showed up at college and career. She was cute, she was smart, and I found out later, single. All qualities I really appreciated in a girl. <laughs> and I remember that evening, well, we, we played a game called Wink. Now, does anybody know what the game Wink is? Maybe just a few of the real oldies. So what happened is, is all the girls would grab a chair and they formed a circle, and uh, then all the guys would come and stand behind the chair with a girl in it with one single open chair. And so the guy with the, and everyone had to sit literally like this with their eyes down on the girl and their hands behind their back. So we couldn't see what was happening. And, and the person with the single or with the open chair would wink at a girl who was watching and the girl would try and slip away without the guy tagging her with his, with his hand. Now, I, 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 you know what? Even saying this, I think this is weird. <laughs> but, but it was actually fun. <laughs> back then, and, and it worked out well for me. <laughs> because, because midway through the game, uh, my chair finally opened up, and I made my move. I, I, I winked at this charming, beautiful young girl, no doubt melting her heart in the process, <laughs> and, and she uh, slipped away like a sly, very good-looking fox <laughs> out of that chair and into the chair in front of me. And, and, in, and inside me, something says, don't let this girl get away. And I'm very competitive. <laughs> and, and although many suitors tried to wink at her and pull her away from me that evening, none got her. <laughs> not that night, not for the next 34 years. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> Be, before you clap, before you clap too hard, ironically, we, Right after that, we, we changed positions, and the guys sat down, and the girls were over top, and I got away from her in a second. <laughs> it didn't discourage me, though. Now, if you've ever fallen in love, you know that love changes you. You see, be before I met Brenda, um, I had no time for girls. I hadn't actually dated for six years. I was Ebenezer's new youth pastor. My life was very, very full. Uh, in those days, uh, I would literally work seven days a week and almost seven nights a week. My, my saying was, you know, I'm not going to sit and watch the dust fall. I'm going to do something. And as for my wife now, Brenda, she was this incredibly serious, highly motivated student who was studying journalism in the University of Regina. And when I say studying, she would study seven days a week morning and evening, totally stressed, and she had no time for a relationship, which she told people, until we saw each other that night, and we met and we fell in love. Now, after that moment, uh, no one had to tell us to spend time with each other. We just automatically wanted to. And suddenly, I was, I was traveling to Regina every week on my day off. Regina, just let that sink in. I was traveling to Regina. <laughs> And, and she was driving back up to Saskatoon on the weekends to spend time with me. No one, no one told me that it was appropriate to, to talk to this person and give them a call and, and listen to them. 
I, I just automatically did and my phone bills proved it. And, and why is that? Because love always finds a way and love always makes time and love always is willing to make sacrifice. Now, in this morning's scripture passage, Jesus speaks about the importance of falling in love. And he's going to draw on this universal experience to, to make the complicated incredibly simple and manageable and teach uh, his audience a profound and life-giving truth of the kind of faith that will flourish. Now, if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, open that to, to Mark chapter 12. And as you're, as you're doing that, let me set the context for the passage that we're going to look at today. Now, for those of you that have been with our family over the summer, you know that this summer, as a church family, we, we taught through the Ten Commandments. These were the commandments given to the people of Israel through God's servant Moses on Mount Sinai almost 3,500 years ago, uh, near the beginning of their exodus out of Egypt. And as you, you know, if you've been with us, those Ten Commandments became the cornerstone and they became the foundation of how the nation of Israel ordered their lives. And they displayed uh, God's love and protection over his children, revealing God's character actually to the world around them. And what we know of now is that those Ten Commandments transcended time and they transcended cultures and they transcended geographies to form the moral framework for much of the world today. In fact, most nations' framework can be traced back to the Ten Commandments given to Moses and the people of Israel 3,500 years ago. Now, uh, we know them as the Ten Commandments, but in, in total, Moses actually received 613 commandments uh, from the Lord on Mount Sinai. And we now refer to those 613 commandments that are found in Leviticus and Deuteronomy as the Mosaic Law. And these were, these were well known by the, the people in that day. They knew those 613 laws, and they were certainly well known by the Jewish leaders and the Jews in Jesus' day. However, by the time Jesus arrived on earth, uh, that law had grown to literally thousands of rules with these layer, layers upon layers of complicated regulations brought in by the Jewish rabbis who were attempting to clarify the Mosaic law. But unfortunately, all it did was it continued just to confuse things. You know, take, for example, the command. It's the fourth command. It says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It was given to God's people as a command so that they would not work on Saturdays and give their time to replenish and to worship God. However, in an attempt to clarify what God meant by the term work, Jewish scholars created 39, 39 separate categories of what it meant to work. And inside each category, there were, there were additional categories of, of what these regulations should be. You know, so what was one command literally turned into hundreds, if not thousands, of little commands that people had to follow. Everything from defining how many steps you could take on the Sabbath day without it being work, to how many words you could write on a piece of paper without it being work. Even my wife and I went to Israel a few years ago, and uh, there on the Sabbath day, all the buttons in a, ho in a hotel elevator were pushed automatically so that you didn't have to work by pushing a single button. So it became really, really super cumbersome. And, and by the time uh, Jesus arrived on earth, this law had become this, this massive web of thousands of rules that no one could possibly nor keep. 
uh, except for one ultra-religious group of people called the Pharisees. And even they tried to keep it for the wrong reasons because they believed that by keeping the law, they could actually get to heaven. Now, I, I tell you this because it paints a backdrop to the passage of Scripture that I want us to look at today. It's in Mark chapter 12, and it's verses 28 to 31. This passage is also found in a couple of other places in the Gospels, uh, Luke chapter 10, I believe, uh, Matthew chapter 22, some similar passages. But this is what it says. It says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. This is Jesus and the religious leaders. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked this question. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now keep in mind, it might have even been a legitimate question, or he was trying to trap Jesus, but he had, he had not just the 10 in mind, not just the 613 in mind, he had the thousands of commands that had become. And he says to Jesus, you tell me, which one is the most important? And then Jesus said, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Or as the, the parallel passage in Matthew 22 says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Okay, so what we have here is, is this wonderful example of how, how Jesus makes simple that which humankind has made complicated. He takes the, the whole law, which is the 10 foundational commands, the 613 completed commands of the Mosaic law, and the thousands upon thousands of other laws, and he reduces them to two core, easily remembered, easily understood concepts. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And according to Jesus, every single one of the 613 commands can be fulfilled by keeping those two. And every one of the additional man-made commands and rules and regulations can be tossed aside by focusing on these two, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so let's take a moment, brief because we don't have a lot of time, but let's dig a bit deeper into the first command. And this is what, this is what it says. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus begins uh, here by quoting uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. It's, it's, a, it's something that, that the Israelite people know, know, know as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And these opening words are a declaration to the world that there is only one God, the Lord God of Israel, the one who stands alone as God. Now, even in that day, the idea of one God stood in sharp contrast to all the theologies of the surrounding nations and cultures. It was arrogant. It was offensive. It was naive for the nation of Israel to think that their God was the only true God. But it was the worship of this one and only God that made the faith of the Hebrews unique in the whole ancient world. And it actually continues to set the people of God apart 
in a world that is pluralistic, that believes in many gods and deities. And of course, today, when we say in public that there is only one God, the God of the Bible, guess how we're viewed? Arrogant, offensive, and naive. And yet, it is this God, the, only, the one and only true God, who Jesus says needs to be the object and focus of our love. And we are commanded to love this God first and foremost. He says, love the Lord your God. But here's the thing for all of us. It, it's actually impossible for us to love the Lord our God if we haven't first experienced God's love for us. That's what it says in the book of John. First John says, we love him because he first loved us. First John puts it this way, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. So the, the first step in falling in love with God is to experience his love and, and grace and mercy in our lives. It's for us to discover that, that when we pray, there's a God in heaven who hears and is able to answer our prayers. It's when we experience his great power and work in our lives. Now, I'm really excited this morning because in a few minutes, you're going to hear two incredible stories of people who experienced God's love in their life in an incredible way and what that did for them. And I think it would be safe to say, and you'll see it after you hear their stories, that these two people have fallen in love with the God who loved them first. Now, once God reveals himself to us, and once he reveals the wonder of his love and the goodness of his grace and the power of his presence and the greatness of his action, he wants us to love him. And he wants us to love him with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. So let's look at these really briefly. What does it mean to love God with all our heart? Well, in Scripture, your heart refers to the, to the center of who you are. It's the center of your physical and spiritual life. It encompasses your passions and encompasses your desires and affections. It includes emotions and reason and will. And so to love God with all your heart means to love God with the completeness and depth of all your, your emotions. Second, all your soul. In this verse, the, the word used for soul means, means breath or spirit. But in Hebrew culture, a person's soul had even deeper significance. Uh, the soul is the, the true essence of who the person is. It's, it's who they are at the core. It is the part that, of us that lives on for eternity. And so to love God with all our soul means that, that at the core of who we are, at the deepest part of us are these thoughts of love and this deliberate choice to, to love God. To love God means that, uh, that the deepest part of you knows that God is true and that he is worthy of our worship. Third, all your mind. Now, this all your mind is actually unique to the Mark passage. Uh, Matthew doesn't include that. It just says all your strength. But since Mark included it, so will I. Um, usually it's included as part of all your strength. Okay, but here's, here's what it says. Uh, your mind in, in, the, in the Greek language means, literally means um, the faculty. 
It, it infers to our inherent mental capacity. You know, for example, uh, when we say uh, of someone older, they still have their faculties about them. And by the way, I don't appreciate when you say that about me very often, but um, we, we are saying that, that their mind is still functioning properly and they have a good understanding or grasp of, of their environment around them. Now, loving God with our mind means that, that, that we have done our very best with everything that we have inside of us to, to know the character, nature, and ways of God. And that means we, we open God's Word and we study and read book, books and we come to church. We do our very best with what we have to be able to understand who God is. But it also means that, that we, we ask God to continually renew our mind and continually reveal Himself to us, knowing that, that we can never rely on our own understanding to understand the, 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 the depth and the greatness of our God. And as God uh, gives us a new revelation of who He is, then something happens to us. We just keep on falling in love deeper and deeper. Fourth, our whole strength, uh, loving God with all our strength. Our, our whole strength refers to our physical bodies. Uh, when our, our heart is in love with God and our soul is convinced of the truth of who He is and our minds begin to grasp His greatness, our physical bodies can't help but follow which means that when we worship Him, our voices sing, our hands clap, our arms are raised, our feet dance. When we love God with all our strength, we, we, we use our hands and our feet and our resources to serve Him. When we love God with all our strength, our time and energy will be spent on pursuing Christ. You see, our physical bodies will reflect the inner reality of the love we have for our God. It's undeniable. And so if people can never see in your life that you love God, there's a disconnect right there. Now, even though I have taken time to look at, at each word briefly, heart, soul, mind, and strength, as to how we are to love God, I actually think it's the collective that is the greater lesson. You know, God has designed us with the intention that we would love Him with not with just one part of our being, but with, but with our whole being, every part of us, everything that we have, every emotion, every feeling, every thought, every word, every action should declare that the Lord our God, the Lord alone, the Lord is one and our God. He is worthy of our love and all honor and praise. And when we experience... At, um, this heart, soul, and mind, and strength of loving God, uh, it convinces us of His greatness and goodness and power and love. And when we, when we understand that, just like I knew intuitively that I, I, would, I was going to travel down to Regina to see this girl, and that we would talk on the phone, no one had to tell me. When we love God this way, we will want to please Him. We will want to obey Him. We will be compelled to worship Him. We will want to declare His praises. We will look for ways to make His name known to the world. And we will want to bring Him honor and glory to His name. Now, before I leave that point, just, just for you to process this, we're not going to do it out loud or anything, but if I were to say on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being uh, I don't love God at all, 10 being um, I'm loving God with my whole being, where would you place yourself this morning on that scale? And which way are you moving? 
Just take a second just to think about that. Okay, number two. Let's look very briefly at the second command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, over the last uh, few years, Brenda and I have found ourselves falling in love over and over again. And so here's, here's a picture of what I mean by that. Um, we have, that's what we say about our grandkids, it's like falling in love again. And if you're a grandparent, you understand exactly what I mean. It's remarkable how easy it is for us to express that love, and it's, a, it's amazing the depth, the great lengths that we would go to prove that love to them. Now, a few weeks ago, while my son and his family were on holidays uh, in BC, Brenda and I were looking after their place, and, and we discovered two uh, unseen wasps' nests. My wife was fortunate enough to discover one by getting stung, and then we were told about another one. Now, um, one was in the front entry, just as you know, you people would walk in, and one was in the backyard where the kids like to play. Now, you have to understand that I have a healthy respect for wasps. Some would call it a unreasonable, unreasonable fear, and that's because when I was about 13 years old, I had the good fortune of encountering a wasp nest and being stung about 24 times. Now, uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> My wife never gave me any sympathy until she got stung once. <laughs> but I want you to know that as much as I fear wasps um, and, and hate them, I love my grandkids and kids more. And so, one hot summer night, if you want to turn the next slide here, uh, I, I donned, <laughs> this is about a week ago, I, I donned my wasp gear, I, I moved past my fears, and the hard part was I, I didn't know where the nests were, okay? So I was, I was going in there blind, and the one night I wasn't blind, I had a flashlight, and they found my flashlight and got me. The next night I was smarter, I put it on a tire, and they went right for the flashlight, and I could see these three-foot shadows of wasps <laughs> crawling over the, the, the image of the, sh of the shed. It was very terrifying, I'm, I just say. Okay, but I donned my wasp gear, moved past my fears, and found and destroyed both nests. And the one nest was actually under an old lawnmower in the shed, hidden out of sight. It's not there anymore. <laughs> now, now, why did I do this? Because... Lo true love cannot help but act. Love your neighbor as yourself. This command actually appears eight times in the Bible, showing its importance to God. In the book of James, James refers to this command as the royal law. And intuitively, you and I all know that if we actually loved others like we love ourselves, this world would be a much better place to live. But we also know how difficult and challenging it is to love our neighbor, especially the way Jesus defines who our neighbor is and how he asks us to love. So let me begin by asking the same question that an expert asked in Luke chapter 10. He asked this question, so who's my neighbor? And Jesus answered that question by telling him a parable that could Samaritan. Uh, in the story, as you know, Jesus, uh, a Jewish man was beaten and robbed and left for dead along a notoriously dangerous road between Jerusalem and Jericho. And while he was lying there, bloodied and broken and in desperate need of help, uh, three people walked past him, a priest, a temple assistant, and a despised Samaritan. Now, one would have assumed that the, the priest, the man of God, would have stopped by to help him, uh, but he actually avoided the man by walking on the other side of the, of the road. The temple assistant came upon him, he did exactly the same, walking on the other side of the road to avoid getting involved. It, it was the man least likely to help the, 
who helped, the Samaritan, who stopped by um, at great personal expense. And then at the end of the story, Jesus simply asked this religious leader, this teacher of the law, who was the neighbor? And the teacher said, it was the one who showed the man mercy. Okay, so let me give you a working definition of your neighbor today. A neighbor is anyone and everyone that God brings across the path of your life to whom you can show mercy. Okay? Now, I'm going to give you three general categories of neighbors. Very general. People you like. Those are people that you easily and naturally connect with because they're like you. You might be sitting with them today. They could be your family, your friends, your church life group. And God wants you to love them. And we don't even always do that well. Second group is the group you don't like. These are people that you don't easily connect with. They are people you don't see eye to eye with. They rub you the wrong way. They have different views. And they express that on Facebook or to your face. When you see them coming, your tendency is to walk on the other side of the road, to avoid them. And God wants you to love those people. And then there are the people you don't know. These people uh, walk past you on a daily basis. You've really never taken the time to notice them or to recognize them. They're the people who you've never taken the time to know. And if you have, maybe it's been quick to judge and slow to show compassion on them. And God wants you to love them. And so I want to give you just very briefly, I think about um, six very quick ways by which we can show, uh, be a better neighbor and show God's love as a neighbor to other people. And just as I'm doing this, if I can have the partner pastors, if they would just join me on stage uh, as I'm doing this. So uh, here are a few of the ways we can become a better neighbor to others. We become a better neighbor to others, first and foremost, when we experience God's love ourselves. You know, if you ever want to be a good neighbor, you need to know what love is. And you need to know that that you are loved, and that's the first commandment. Uh, Second, uh, we become a better neighbor to others when we learn to love ourselves. It won't be until we see um, our worth in the eyes of God that we'll be able to love others the way he wants us to love. And for some of you, that's actually a sticking point. You're sitting here today and you go, I don't want to love others like I love myself because I hate myself. Right? And, And in this moment, God might be saying to you, I need to show you um, your worth in my eyes. We become a better neighbor to others when we extend grace by being more empathetic, by being patient, by being slow to criticize, by being slow to judge. We become a better neighbor to others when we show compassion. That's who Jesus said was the neighbor. Compassion acts. You know, our hearts of compassion responds to others' needs. And we we tend to show compassion more when we engage in people's lives. If you don't want to be compassionate, just stay cold and distant. If you want to have compassion, just lean in and hear the stories. Face-to-face, contact, and listen. We become a better neighbor when we look out for the well-being of others. 1 Corinthians says, love protects. Uh, Philippians 2.4 says, look each of you not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And Leighton 4.16 says, knock out the wasp nest when they're going to get your grandkids. Right? <laughs> love has 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 cares for the well-being of others. We become a better neighbor when we serve others. Serving is, is an act of sacrifice and kindness that softens the hearts of our critics. 
and love always serves. We become a better neighbor when we speak with gentleness and kindness. To love your neighbor as yourself, we need to use words to build them up rather than put them down. We need to speak words of encouragement when we see that someone is down. We become a better neighbor when we make allowances for other, other people's humanity. We give them the benefit of the doubt. We become a better neighbor when we share in, the, in others' joys and sorrows. The Bible actually says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And we become a better neighbor when we extend forgiveness. Forgiveness um, is, that has been given freely to us, and forgiveness is the thing that opens the doors to be a neighbor to others. Now, I'd like to, I've invited our partner pastors, and I've asked them just to, to share uh, like one or two specific ways that we can be a neighbor to, to them. Uh, where's the microphone? Can I, do we have that handheld? Thanks. So just, Shadi, if you want to just take that. So this is Shadi. Uh, he's the pastor of Arab Church. Shadi, why don't you just share? Good morning. Uh, my name is Shadi Saleh, the pastor of the Arabic Church. been in Canada for almost 11 years now. And for those of you who are from the Arabic Church, So actually, I was thinking about this question of how Ebenezer can be a neighbor for the Arabic Church. Ebenezer has been a great neighbor for the Arabic Church in the, in the years that I have been with Ebenezer. And being here, having a place to worship every Sunday morning, this is a great uh, way of showing your love and uh, your support to the Arabic Church. Even myself being part of the staff and uh, supporting me financially and in other, other ways to be able to do what God called me to do. This is also a great way of Ebenezer being a great neighbor to the Arabic Church. But as immigrants, we have some challenges, especially with our uh, young guys, with the teenagers. Maybe you are first or second or third generation immigrant. Maybe you are going through. We have generational differences with our young guys and also language differences and also cultural differences. And this is the way where Ebenezer can step in and is stepping in to help us with raising our uh, sons and daughters in the fear of the Lord, being a place here for them, being a church for them. Because we worship in Arabic, but our kids, their, their first language is English, of course. I always say, when our kids dream, they dream in English. They don't dream in Arabic. So this is one way of helping us and being a great neighbor. Second way is toward our community. And it's been on my heart in the last two or three years to, to open a welcome center for the people who are coming from the Middle East. A welcome center supported from churches and with financially and with volunteers so that they, we can build these bridges with the newcomers and help them along the way because the newcomers will need a lot of things when they come here. And I am, uh, most of my time now is helping uh, the newcomers doing many things when they come to our city and to our province. So it's with our young generation, with our community, and also when I look around the world, as Arabic Church, we sponsored two refugees family, but now we are sponsoring the third refugee family. And this family has special circumstances that we needed Ebenezer to step in and help us. And this is where Ebenezer also stepped in and we are sponsoring a Syrian family who is in Lebanon now. So God bless you.
Hello, good morning. Uh, my name is Ramesh Tameng, and I pastor Eternal Life in Ebenezer's here in Ebenezer. So it's my honor and privilege to stand in front of you. So, yeah, this is the big question, and I want to start with my word with John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It says that, let us, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. So there are a couple ways we can love our neighbor. So we already, Pastor Lightning already described or give definition of our neighbor here. So let me uh, say some couple ways how can we in touch or get, uh, love to our neighbor. The first thing, we can start with a very simple way. We can talk with them, we can get to know with them and find out their story, their feelings. And other ways, so in other way also, we can help them. There are so many people, uh, mostly immigrant people, struggling to find a job or whatever. So we can, we can reach out those people too. So that way we can be the, the disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the supreme command of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to conclude my word here again, saying the same verse, First John chapter four, verse 18. Let us not love in, in the word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Amen. Thank you. Hello, my name is Chen Kim, the pastor of uh, Vision Current Church here. I'm going to share about loving uh, your neighbor a little bit more and uh, I express thanks to you. Uh, loving your neighbor is just as you love yourself is a challenging thing because our neighbors are not uh, ourselves. Uh, to love our neighbor, we must put ourselves in, in their shoes and understand what they're going through. Their sorrows, their uh, pain, their uh, despair and loneliness. This is not an easy thing to do. Even with our love, we can help others. We can donate with our love. We can share our things with our love. However, these may not be the acts of love that the Bible says, because helping with our love can become an act of self-righteousness. I can help other people for my own satisfaction. I can help to uh, show off to others that I'm a better person. Jesus could have helped us from heaven, but he knew that it would not be true love. From heaven, he could not erase our sins. That is why he came to earth as a human. He went through our struggles in our stead. Not only did he go through it, but he also sacrificed for us. He gave his life for us. This is a true example of loving your neighbor as yourself. To go into your neighbor's situation and feel their pain and feel their needs, that is loving your neighbor. So to truly love your neighbor, rather than just to know uh, what you can give, 
I think it is more important to understand uh, what situation your neighbor is in and how they are feeling. Uh, last year, we lost our place to gather and worship. When we are looking for a new place for worship, uh, Pastor Layton met with us. He listened to our story and he understood us. Then Ebenezer Church welcomed us as a part of their, uh, their own. Do you know how we felt? Wow, this church is our true neighbor. So we are very grateful and I believe that uh, the, this gratitude is shared among all the other partner uh, churches. So I take this opportunity to express thanks to you all, uh, to you all who showed love us to us. Thank you. Hi, uh, my name is Spencer. I'm the pastor of the House for All Nations. We work in the Meadow Green area on the west side of the city. And uh, we have a lot of refugees, a lot of immigrants, uh, especially now we have got a few families from Afghanistan that have moved in. But what happened in our church is actually something very special and unique. We opened up a drop-in center that runs during the week from about nine to four in the afternoon. And something special started to happen. We had a lot of people, and we still do, that started moving in to our drop-in center during the day from the streets. So we have people that are coming that are struggling financially, spiritually, with, with some substance abuses, and they're coming and they're sitting in our chairs and they're having a cup of coffee and they're having some soup and they need someone that can just come and share and talk and listen to their story. So it will be wonderful if you could come and visit during the week, come sit and listen to some people's stories, just listen to uh, what is going on in their lives. Uh, we're working with servant partners on this and uh, we, we would appreciate it if you would just come and visit. We have a service at 1.30 in the afternoon on a Sunday, so it does not interfere with the service here. You're welcome to come and join us in our service. Just come and be with the people. Come and listen to their stories, hear their hearts, and that is how you will be able to share your love and your time and kindness with them. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you very much, everyone. I'm gonna invite uh, our baptism candidates to come on up on stage here. So Spring and Stacy, if you wanna come up. This, this for me is, um, is the, the highlight of the whole service today. And you're gonna hear uh, two stories of people who have, who have um, experienced God's love and who have had people be a neighbor to them. And so, Spring, if you wanna come over here first. So she's gonna share her story for us. Hi. Good morning, everyone. My name is Wen Zhang, but my English name is Spring. I was born in China, but moved to Canada in 2015. I'm relatively new to the church family as I started in uh, August 2020. 
There are many stories that I would like to share with you this morning, but some of them are very painful. However, God used this experience to lead me to Him. In March, in March of 2019, for various reasons, um, my son and I moved out of our home to live separately with my ex-husband. To, to support us and cover the basic um, living expenses, I found a part-time job at a restaurant. And at the same time, I was working at a, at the same time, I was taking business certificate at the Saskatchewan Polytech College. Due to the longer shifts that I was working and the longer hours that I was putting into studying, I wasn't spending enough quality time with my son. I always um, criticizing him and dealing at him at that moment. I just felt I just cannot control my temper at all. And my son become a very um, problem child with a lot of bad habits in a failing marriage. During this season, I really felt so helpless and struggled to be independent at that moment. This is because back home in China, I was very protected and careful for my um, parents um, as the only child back home in China. For example, I didn't know how to drive or cook, and I even have no idea how to take care of my child. I kept moving from one place to another place three times in a year which makes me feel as though life was full of endless darkness. One day I made a decision to find another place to live. From my own experience, I know that not so many households would like to have the seven-year-old noisy boy as their roommate. However, I still need to find a place to live. Thankfully, God brought me to my current landlord she were mature Christian and also Chinese. When I look back, I know this was God intervening because what are the chances that I would end up in this particular home? My lady, my lady landlord recalled when she saw my son and I kept wandering in front of her house with lots of hesitations and hopeless in our eyes. She said God brought her in a place of sympathy. She knew we were supposed to live with them. Overall, this point of my life is one of the darkest that I had experienced. I had a lot of anxiety and I was filled with worry um, at that moment. But looking back, however, God's presence was with me during all my difficulties. To be honest, I didn't realize who God was at that moment. But looking back over the last three years, I realized this was the 
beginning of God's redemption story in my life. Our God is merciful. Like Psalm 166 says, the Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, he saved me. Indeed, he is merciful. I'm convinced it was God's love for me and his working in my life that opened the door for me to live with a Chinese Christian family. They always treat me like their own daughters in all aspects. And it set a very good example to caring and loving for me in all my difficult circumstances. They always teach me in gentle and patient way by using the words of Bible and supported me when each time I'm in despair during the last three years. They encourage me to always think positively and to, to be independent financially and also grow spiritually. Later, under the encouragement, I applied and was accepted to study finance at the University of Saskatchewan, where I am currently in year three. My life was improving greatly because they gave me the challenge to face the they gave me the courage, courage to face the challenges that seemed impossible. So from my experience, I would like to encourage everyone today, no matter what kind of difficulties you suffer right now, do not be afraid of it, always face it. As the time passed by, God continued to be present in my life and use different people teach me and to help me during all my difficulties. However, it is only gradually that I have come to realize that he intended to use these hard situations and specific people to deepen my trust and reliance on him. <clears throat> About one month after moving in with my current landlord, I met another person who got used to impact my faith journey. Her name is Caroline. The when the first time I met her, I was interviewing her at a restaurant where I was working at before. I just felt her conversation and her behavior ex extremely humble, so I heard her. Not long after, I knew she attended church. So my lady landlord asked me to check if I could go with her, so I did. During this season of my life, there are still a lot of difficulties happening on me, but they were eventually all resolved miraculously. At that moment, I thought it was just a coincidence. But now I know that it was God want to use all these difficulties to teach me his presence and his existence. Each time when I share these stories with Caroline, she would also affirm my faith by, say, by saying, that's so amazing spring. God really take care of their children and 
take care of their individual needs. She also always patiently answer all the questions that I ask related to the topics of the Bible. Her faithful and devout attitude touched me a lot, which strengthened my faith to pursue the, which uh, strengthened my desire to pursue the relationship with Jesus. On December 21, 2020, Caroline and I went for a walk on the extremely cold weather to catch up. During this walk, she showed me how to pray and accept Jesus as my savior. After this moment, she told me, the angel rejoiced when someone welcomed God to their life, and which makes me feel so excited that I can be part of the rejoicing and be one of the Christian spiritual family. It's amazing, isn't it? I'm really grateful that God orchestrated this beautiful encounter between her and me. God's plan always works the best. No one can compare this power of our heavenly father. Now, two years into my journey of faith, I can see God has shaped my mindset and to be more like him which has improved the way I talk and the way I treat others. Specifically, the Bible teaches us to love your neighbors as yourself. And this is the attitude that I have been now holding towards others. I would like to walk alongside other people and give others a hand when, whenever anyone carrying burdens. Just like my Christian friends, helped me in the past three years when I was in despair. Another example of my spiritual growth is how I build up the habit of praying. Praying is a very good habit to practice our unconditional love to others instead of always demanding from them. And uh, it has really opened my heart focus on caring others' well-being. I really enjoy the time spent in prayer. And from my experience, it is better to pray and worship God with our genuine heart. It's not because we feel obligated to. When I reflect on my life, I can see that God has provided exactly right people and circumstances to meet my individual needs and ultimately to bring me to Christ. Today, I would love to act in obedience in the words of God as he teaches us to be baptized, which makes me new again. Light has always praised our Lord with genuine heart Thanks for everyone's listening today. May God bless you all. May the God of peace be with you. Thank you.
Hello, everyone. Um, I just want to start with a quick prayer, if you could all join with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful day as we gather to worship and honor you. And thank you so much that many of my loved ones were able to come and experience this beautiful moment with me. Lord, thank you that Spring and I are able to be here to share our stories and be baptized today in the presence of so many of your people. All I ask is that our stories touch the hearts of those who need to hear them, and may they hear your glory in our words. In Jesus' name, amen. So, my name is Stacy, and my life before Christ was like walking on broken glass with bare feet. I lived a life of much isolation because of abuse from both peers and later boyfriends. Home life was hard, my parents fought, and there was a lot of anger and hurt from everyone. I felt like I had no escape anywhere that I went. We were not a Christian home, but my younger self would pray to God for help and for my parents to divorce. When it was not answered right away or how I thought it ought to be, I began to drop my relationship with him. But I did not completely shun the Lord and become an anti-Christian until I was a teen. Soon, a soon after, instead of turning to the Lord, I found other ways of coping with loneliness, pain, anxiety, and despair that I was silently dealing with. I refused to trust anyone around me for fear of them having ammunition that could be used later to hurt me. One way of coping with this was self-harm. In grade seven, about 11 years old, I was given a blade and was made to believe that cutting would give me friends. I was so desperate to belong and felt so alone in this world that I did not hesitate. After that, the enemy had the tightest hold that it could on me. I continued to self-harm for many years, but each time I felt like I was falling deeper into the depths of despair. I started drinking in my late teens and would binge until I couldn't remember anything. There are three moments at my lowest with drinking that I would like to share with all of you. The first being that there was a night when I drank so much I fell out of bed. I had to call my mom. Not only could I not orient myself, I had no idea where I was. I was terrified, and I didn't know what was going to happen. The next thing I remember is that my dad had me back in bed and was telling me I am safe and at home. The second is that I was so drunk I completely blacked out. And when I came to, I was sitting on the kitchen floor and yelling at my dad. I had no recollection of what we were talking about or even when I sat on the floor. The final instance was when I was with my last ex-boyfriend. I began to drink all the time. It was no longer binging, and I was always a little drunk towards the end of that relationship before moving back home with my dad. I was using alcohol to try and have something I could have control of in my life. I used it to forget all the pain that I was in and to fill the void I created by pushing the Lord away from me. But no matter how much or how often I drank, I still felt lost in pain and empty inside. When I was in grade eight, so age 12 or 13, I came out as bisexual. At 16, I finally decided to act upon this attraction of women and began my relationship with a girl my age. We were kids doing adult activities and this opened the door for promiscuity. After we broke up, I tried to find the Lord and I did wear a purity ring, but my heart was not in it. I did not know the Lord's words and I did not know Jesus or believe in him. My inner reality did not match my outward expression. My life continued to spiral out of control, and at starting at age 18, adult relations became a normal part of all my dating relationships. I even had a few pregnancy scares. It made me worried, but I did not care. 
if I got pregnant, I told myself I would get an abortion or I would give them up for adoption. In other words, I would throw them away. After coming to the Lord, I realized now that because I thought my life was meaningless and that no life mattered, I believed I was disposable and my child would be too. Sorry. I began to identify as pansexual in my 20s. I dated men, women, and transgender people. I did not care. I just felt a connection and I was longing for love. But none of that love was the love that I needed and my heart was always searching for more. It was searching for Christ. I always felt alone in my relationships and nothing about them brought me happiness. The only time I was happy was the first few weeks when everything was new and exciting, but then it became the empty void. I just wanted to belong. I wanted people to like me and want me to be in their lives. I wanted to have someone who would not let me down, always be there for me, and never hurt me like I was hurt before. I was trying to find a substitute for the Lord with people and society. While I was in Catholic school, they ended up being instrumental in pushing me farther away from the Lord. They did not hold scripture in high regard and seem, or seemingly any regard for that matter. They supported and even celebrated my same-sex relationship, but I never had the same response when I dated a boy. My chaplain was in love with Buddhism and would accept gifts that I gave her depicting the laughing Buddha, which she would always tell us is her favorite. There were also indigenous smudges that we took part in. There was no option not to, so we cleansed our soul with sage. And that was right at the school. It made me wonder, how can the Lord be real? And if he is, how can his people behave like this in such a contradictory and seemingly blasphemous way? There was so much confusion and mixed messages that all I could do was shake my head, laugh, and call it ridiculous. My parents did let me explore my spirituality, and I flip-flopped between religions trying to find my truth instead of the truth. And eventually, this led me to witchcraft. I dabbled a bit here and there until I was 25 when I began practicing with the woman that I was currently dating. I found my enjoyment in communicating with the spiritual world via a crystal pendulum. I wanted answers and connections, and I got them right away. It was like praying, but getting an immediate response. I unknowingly was inviting the enemy closer. I was bothered by evil beings when I was younger, and now I had opened the door right in my room. They became much more present after I came to the Lord. They appeared before me, corrupted my dreams with sin, and filled me full of fear and self-doubt. But with the Holy Spirit, the Lord aided in casting them out. It is a lot more peaceful, and I will admit, getting closer to my baptism, it has started to get a little bit harder to sleep. They still try and influence my dreams, but I hold the Lord close to me, and I've begun to recognize that while I am dreaming. The months leading up to finally opening my heart to the Lord were perfectly timed by Him. In November of 2019, I had emergency gallbladder surgery, and it was followed by complications. I missed a week's worth of school. When I got back, a wonderful woman named Katie offered to help me. I thought she meant help me with the notes that I had missed, and at first I said no. Someone had already given them to me. But then I felt a push to accept, so I quickly accepted her offer to help and told her the more the merrier with notes. I now know that this push was the Holy Spirit, but at the time I thought it was simply a logical drive. I recently found out that the offer was to carry my things because I just had surgery. <laughs> but it all worked out in the end. I found out quickly that she was a, oh wait, she just went with it because she knew the Holy Spirit was telling her to be in my life, which is very important. 
I found out quickly that she was Christian. She was not shy about her faith and her love of Jesus. And at the time, all I could think was, great, a crazy Christian is going to try and convert me. <laughs> but she was so loving and kind, and we ended up having many things in common. I enjoyed spending time with her and studying together. So we soon became fast friends. She never pushed anything onto me, and she was just her genuine self, and this aided in lowering my guard. I soon noticed how beautiful her family and their conviction to the Lord was. It was like drinking water after being in the desert when I was around them. Fast forward to February 2020, and I'm walking in the tunnel of the arts building to the arts building at the university. In the tunnel, tables are set up with various things, and that day at the end of the tunnel, I saw an older man sitting there with a small book in his hand. Now, this tunnel is packed. This was pre-pandemic. So I was figuring he'd hand it to anybody, but he wasn't handing it to anyone. The next thing I knew, he was handing it to me. It's important to let you know that I never refuse people who hand out stuff. It takes nothing away from me to take it. So I grabbed the book, thanked him, and went on my way. It was a small white book with an innocent cover called So Loved, which is in my bag and not out here. I did not know it was the Gospel of John until I sat down and began waiting for class. Having plenty of time, not wanting to get up and throw it away because I was lazy, and with my guard being so low, I began to read it. I did not know at the time that this decision would change my life forever. Reading it, I heard everything I needed to hear my whole life. I felt like crying as my heart felt something so different inside of it. It was like I finally understood what true love is beyond parental love. At that moment, I said out loud in the hallway, all right, Lord, I am listening. I remember feeling defeated, like I'd lost the battle to keep the Lord away from me. And what a glorious feeling that defeat was as I invited him back into my life. I texted Katie, wanting to know more about her faith, but I was a bit shy about asking that, or saying that I wanted to know how to commit to living life through Christ. After confessing to her that I was ready to accept the Lord, she was quite surprised, but obviously happy. She invited me to Ebenezer, and this church felt like home. The sermon spoke to me on a different level, and the focus on scripture was something that I had been longing for but was never given. Because of her honesty, Katie kept me away from the progressive church, and I no longer identify as pansexual, but I identify in Christ. This was the first act I was able to do to commit myself to the Lord. I gave up my old identity to follow him. Since being in a relation with Christ, my friendships have changed and become stronger. My outlook on life has improved. I've begun to trust those around me, and I see the Lord working in my family. Every day is a gift to be now instead of a curse. I do not self-harm or drink anymore, and while I inevitably still sin, I work every day to repent and remain honorable to the Lord with my actions, thoughts, and words. As I wrap this up, I wanna share a few verses that have had a profound impact on me. The first two are from John, from the book So Loved, and the last is Matthew. John 8:12, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I was in such darkness that I did not know there was even a possibility of coming out of it. I had no hope, and when I read that, it was like a sucker punch. For the first time, there was a promise of light, and hope was being given to me that I'm not ever alone, and darkness is only temporary. I can reach out and accept Christ as my savior, and he will be the light that guides me through all the darkness I have 
and will encounter. This began to shape the wall that I built to keep the Lord out. Next, John 10, 27, 28. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and I will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. This is the verse that broke through that wall. For me, it was the Lord telling me that even though I shunned him, rejected him, and even hated him, that I belonged to only him. I am safe with him no matter what happens. All I must do is accept his love and come be in his flock. I am never alone both in this life and the next when I follow him. Matthew 17, 20. I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Since coming to the Lord so close to quarantine, I was quite disconnected from the church where I could have grown my spiritual community. Luckily, I still had Katie and her parents as my spiritual and second family. Without them, I would have fallen. I was so new and I was not yet on a firm foundation. But there was always prayers and the encouragement to turn to scripture. And this was the verse that reminded me that even on days when I do not feel adequate or my faith is not strong enough, that having any faith is enough. Remain faithful to the Lord and you will get through this. I use this verse as my phone lock screen all through quarantine and I'm still a faithful follower of Christ. I now have the love I've been longing for and it is the love that no one but the Father could give. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is something that I am forever grateful for. Because of him, I am saved, I am loved, I am found, and I am never alone. Even in my darkest moments, Christ is my light guiding me home. Even as I falter and struggle, I know the Lord is there guiding me away from sin to the path that leads to him. I'm ready to obey the Father's command and be baptized and fully connected to Jesus and his people. Thank you. Let's stay standing for the benediction. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you, and thanks for listening.